Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV on, <clears throat> on a day when the nation uh, is once again divided by the rich socialists who think it's wrong uh, to say something that is true um, and the people who work uh, on the other side of the political divide, some of whom may or may not be wealthy, some of whom may or may not have more life experience, some of whom uh, may have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. We're talking, yes, this morning, of course, about Lee Anderson and Lisa Nandy. Uh, Lee Anderson, a man who grew up in a mining family, a man who knows a thing or two about poverty, a man who knows a thing or two about making a budget stretch when you haven't really got the money to do so, a man who knows a thing or two about raising a family on his own as a single father. And then you've got Lisa Nandy, the daughter of a millionaire family, somebody who has had privilege and wealth all of her life but has somehow chosen to represent the poor as if she knows anything about being poor. I can tell you who I trust to know more about being poor and I can tell you it is not Lisa Nandy. Lee Anderson got up yesterday in the House of Commons and he talked about food banks. You know as well as I do that I have spoken about food banks many, many times on this show and I've always said uh, before these moments in time Food banks are used by people uh, who are at the end of their tether, but they are sometimes used by people uh, who don't know how to cook a meal. And Lee Anderson said exactly that, and he's absolutely right, and there is nothing wrong with what he said. What he said was that when they come to his food bank, and that means the food bank that he works with, the food bank that he is associated with, he likes to give them the benefit of some cooking advice, the benefit of some budgeting advice. He said, quite rightly, there are lots of people in this country who don't know how to cook properly. And ever since then, you know very well that you can make all sorts of things for a lot less money than you can pay uh, to some fast food outlet to get stuff delivered round to your house. Lee Anderson is being vilified by the left because he's a Tory, not because what he said actually makes sense. And all of the things that he's accused of doing, he did not do. The Daily Mirror has gone to town on him this morning. The Daily Mirror has said that this is a guy uh, who hates the poor. He says the poor can't cook. That's not what he said, right? Absolute rubbish. And what I can tell you is there are plenty of people that work at the Daily Mirror who, if they're not millionaires already, have certainly got houses worth over £1 million. And I know that because I used to work there. And I know what I'm talking about, right? At least a nandy, similarly, uh, is incredibly wealthy comes from an incredibly privileged background and yet she is out there spouting on about how she can help the poor and how she should and we should all help the poor and we should all hate the Tories. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not buying it and we'll be talking about it throughout this show and I want your views on it as well, of course. 0344 499 1000. Lots of other things to talk about as well. Levi Belfield, triple killer, child killer, molester, murderer, ghastly individual, monster, in fact, some might say is apparently going to get married in prison. Isn't that nice? La-di-da. Is he going to have catering? Is he going to have white tablecloths? Is he going to have a little party afterwards? Absolute nuts and nonsense. We'll find out why that is entirely wrong. Uh, We're also going to be talking about civil servants who've decided uh, that work is no longer a place. I don't know what they mean by that, but I assume they mean they're never going to go back there. And also, we're going to talk energy companies and a windfall tax which seems to be getting closer, according to the newspapers this morning. Rishi Sunak is absolutely and utterly wanting to go and do that. We've got an awful lot to do. Uh, We've got plenty of time to do it in, but let's get started right now. Now, before we talk to our first guest, Andrew Montford, who's Deputy Director of Net Zero Watch, who are going to tell us about the cost of living crisis, the energy crisis and all of that. Let's just have a listen to what Lee Anderson had to say yesterday in the House of Commons, if you haven't heard it yet. scheme we've got in place where when people come now for a food parcel, they have to register 
for a, a budgeting course and a cooking course. And what we do at the food bank, we show them how to cook uh, cheap, cheap and nutritious meals on a budget. We can make a meal for about 30 pence a day. And this is exactly my point, so I invite you personally to come to Ashfield, look at our food bank, how it works, and I think, you see, I think you'll see first hand that there's not this use, this, this massive use for food banks in this country. We've got generation after generation who cannot cook properly, they can't cook a meal from scratch, they cannot budget, the challenge is there. People can't cook. People can't cook a meal from scratch. We know that to be true. How has that been twisted by the left into, I hate Tory, I hate, I, I'm a Tory, I hate poor people, and they don't know what they're doing? absolutely and utterly ludicrous. He spoke to Julie Hartley Brewer, we'll have a listen to that later on in the show, and he basically said, I grew up in a mining family, I'll take no lectures from anyone on the left. And I think from all of the responses I've already got on social media, there's more people out there that back Lee Anderson uh, than back Lisa Nandy and the Labour Party and their ridiculous ownership of middle-class champagne socialist neighbourhoods. Let's face it, the only places they can win in uh, are all in leafy suburbs of London. Wandsworth, Westminster, uh, Putney and Barnet. Marvellous, isn't it? Where everybody's got a Volvo, everybody's got a heat pump and everybody's got a bucket load of money in their bank account. And the closest thing they've been to a food bank is McDonald's. Trust me, they can't be trusted. Let's talk to Andrew Montford, Deputy Director of Net Zero Watch, because on the front page of the Daily Mirror this morning, it says this. Now Rishi warms to energy windfall tax plan. Gas and oil giants may be told to pay billions to help the cost of living crisis. Andrew, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. So um, I'm not sure, as ever, whenever these stories get leaked to uh, to the press, whether it's a sort of a balloon that they're, they're sort of hoisting up to see what people think of it, or whether we are actually ending, uh, going, moving towards a windfall tax. What's your view of a windfall tax, first of all? Well, they say you can always find a policy response that is simple, popular and wrong. And this is precisely <laughs> what this policy um, is. Um, we're in the midst of um, an energy price crisis that is caused by a shortage of fossil fuels. Taxing fossil fuel producers, therefore, is going to do the diametric opposite of what is required. This is absolutely bonkers. Mm. Um, but it will be, you know, it will be popular, and you know, the the green the green blob, if you like, the environmentalists will love it. Um, the socialists will love it. Um, so, um, yeah, I think there is a good chance we could see it happen. Mm. I mean, it's it a would be much more sensible, I think, uh, if they looked at the wind farms, because, of course, the wind farms are enjoying the same very high market prices um, that, that the, uh, the fossil fuel companies are, but they're subsidised as well. Um, we've had people um, um, say in recent weeks that essentially wind farms don't need subsidies anymore because market prices are so high. So instead of a instead of a windfall tax on fossil fuel companies, which of course will be a one-off gain, mm. let's tax those subsidies to the wind farms, and we can do that every year going forward, um, um, and and actually have a su- sustained benefit to consumers. Absolutely right. Because I've always said the problem with allowing these um, uh, companies to continue to make huge amounts of money um, and to continue to subsidise some of these other companies that are making huge amounts of money uh, is you're giving them a licence to carry on. A windfall tax really um, is is a meaningless kind of gesture, I think, as as you quite rightly say, Andrew. Um, Surely they'd be better off, for example, cancelling the um, the green subsidy on everybody's energy bills because then people would actually be able to afford uh, to pay the bills because uh, 25% off that bill is quite a lot, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, in fact, you can actually go quite a lot further than just the green levies on bills. There's, of course, there's green subsidies on everything else. All, all the stuff that comes out out of the um, out of the treasury. Um, there's a whole lot more um, um, money um, that we could save there. But yeah, if you if you took away the green subsidies um, um, that are put directly on bills, the the thing is, um, wind farms would um, once gas prices come down a bit. Um, they would probably actually have to close anyway, which would then bring prices down still further. Because the thing people don't understand is that just having wind farms on the grid makes the grid more expensive as a system. Mm. So if you get rid of the if you get rid of the um, um, the wind farms, the prices will come down regardless of what um, gas prices do. That's exactly my point. So, I mean, the, the effects of, of, of this windfall tax will be um, in the same way as any kind of, you know, payback to, to people to pay, continue to pay these high prices. It's just going to continue to subsidise, in a way, um, these, these, these huge oil companies, isn't it? Um, well, sorry, the, the, the oil companies. I mean, if, if, you, if you do a, win, um, uh, a windfall tax on, on oil companies, then, you know, they will... <laughs> The, the, the only thing it will tend to do is, is, is push them into pushing their prices up even higher. No, but what um, I mean, sorry, what I mean by that, Andrew, is, is that they're, they're, the argument is that they've got profits that they're making from the cost of energy, which they weren't expecting to have. And in fact, some of the energy companies have gone now so woke that they admit that that's true. And some of them have even said um, that it won't affect their investment plans and they don't mind paying it. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a there is a, um, a major problem with with um, energy companies uh feeling that they have to, to play along with the um, the environmentalist narrative um and i think i think that um, is, is potentially um, a very big problem i think we are now starting to see some pushback against that i think people are realizing uh, that we are essentially going down a blind alley here. Mm. we are going to need fossil fuels for decades to come and actually um fossil fuel companies trying to trying to uh, um, um, talk themselves out of existence is is not going to make things better. Yeah. It's going to make well, that's things right. worse. I mean, beyond petroleum, as they're now laughably called, because British Petroleum apparently wasn't good enough for them, um, have actually said that eventually they're going to stop drilling for oil and, and, and gas. And you kind of go, sorry, you're an oil and gas drilling company. What on earth are you going to do? But even if this, this windfall tax was to be put upon these people, where does the money go? And how do we know that Rishi Sunak is going to turn it back onto the consumer? Yeah, I mean, it, it will it will disappear into the Treasury and the, the Treasury will work out what the priority is. And the priority will be, you know, whatever um, takes the cabinet's fancy at the time. So, yeah, it, it may well not end up in bills. This is this is a, a problem across the board. Um, even things like um, um, you know, we, we hear about negative subsidies from cheap wind farms that are supposed to end, you know, supposed to be reducing consumer bills. But in fact, they don't. There's no mechanism to get them from the wind farm to the consumer they, mm. they get as far as the as the, as the um, electricity supplier and the electricity supplier says thank you very much i've just i've just had a load of money from from the government and um that will make my my shareholders very happy yes meanwhile uh, we've got the delightful prospect of extinction rebellion threatening to put millions of people on the street uh, to apparently reverse um, a law that's been passed uh, in parliament uh, because they don't like it yeah um <laughs> I think I would be surprised if Extinction Rebellion could put millions of people on the streets. I think they, I think we've seen the full extent of their strength. And you know, while I think there are genuine civil liberties concerns about about uh, um, uh, crackdowns on protest 
Um, I think I think outlawing, gluing yourself to things is probably um, reasonable. I think people do need to be able to go about their law-abiding business. And just because somebody says they're very concerned about something else doesn't mean you know they should be allowed to stop them going about no. their law-abiding business. Exactly. Um, so that I think is is, is a welcome step. Um, um, and I think. Yeah, in some ways, I think we probably just need to try and ignore these people because yeah. they are mad. They, mean, are they, they are totally mad. mad. Well, to and me, they're, they're no different to me uh, to me as the bloke that used to walk up and down Oxford Street with a sign on his back saying the end is nigh. But listen, we've got to run. Andrew, we've got a really busy show today. Thank you so much for, for being our first guest. Andrew Montford, Deputy Director of Net Zero Watch there on the windfall tax plans of Rishi Sunak. Should he do it? Should he not do it? Tell us. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican. Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are here for the duration. We're here till one o'clock. It is Thursday, of course, and we're going to have some Thursday club action. We've got some breaking news here. Uh, more than 50 new party gate fines issued over the past month, says the Metropolitan Police, taking the total to more than 100. What the hell are they doing in there? And when are they leaving? It's supposed to be the latest update from the Metropolitan Police. The latest announcement shows the number of party gate fines has more than doubled. Previously, the Met were issuing updates every fortnight, but last month the Met said they would delay their next bulletin on the number of fines issued until after the local elections. So I don't know whether this is the end of it, uh, whether they're going to issue more fines. I mean, I've never seen a slower investigation. I mean, Sherlock Holmes would work quicker than this. What the hell are they doing? I mean, start an investigation on who's running the Metropolitan Police. That might be more worthwhile. Let's talk to Ben Habib, former MEP uh, for the Brexit Party, chairman of Brexit Watch, of course. Ben, uh, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, just before we talk about working from home and civil servants who've decided there's no place like home because they don't want to go to work anymore because, they, in their words, it's no longer a place. What do you make of this um, <laughs> toxic Labour reaction to what Lee Anderson said, which seems to me to make perfect sense, that some people don't know how to cook, some people don't know how to budget, so if they go to a food bank, it's quite a good idea to teach them how to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously it's a politically loaded comment, you know, and depending on whether you're pro the government, anti the government, you're going to take various stances on it. And it, it, it's teed itself up to be swiped at, if you like. Mm. But the reality of the situation is that if you do cook at home, it is much more cost effective to eat. We all know that. You know, if you buy a ready made meal, it's just much more expensive than buying something that's been yeah. packaged and uh, transported out, you know, vast cost. So, um, you know, it stands to reason that cooking at home is a sensible option. Mm. And if you can't cook, I mean, there are very simple ways to still take advantage of e eating at home and doing it cheaply, you know. And, and uh, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm quite well off. But I will more often than not in the evening, and I'm not advocating this for everyone, but I will more often than not just have a fried egg on toast mm. or, a, you know, baked beans on toast with a bit of Tabasco because yeah. I, you know, give it a bit of flavour. <laughs> but, um, you know, living at home doesn't need to be expensive. But when a politician says that, having locked the country down for two years and then broken all the supply chains, which, which, changed, which resulted in, you know, a massive spike in inflation for which they're not doing much to help. No, it, it's, you know, it's politically kind of toxic. Mm. And um, so they've got to choose their words very carefully when they say this sort of thing. But I was saying earlier, and I think this is the irony of the modern day politics that we find ourselves in, um, 
that you were often accused in the Brexit party of being a bunch of millionaires, you know, trying to separate Britain from the great European Union uh, project. Um, but in fact, you were operating on behalf of many working class people, in, particularly in the north of England, who wanted to leave it, right? We've now got Lisa Nandy, yeah. the daughter of a multi-millionaire, um, talking about how she thinks the poor need to be helped. And Lee Anderson, who was grown up, who grew up in a Nottinghamshire mining community, um, doesn't know anything about them. I mean, it's very odd to me. Yeah, I, you know, everything's top, uh, top, topsy-turvy, but I wouldn't put any um, store by a politician's particular socioeconomic background. I mean, I judge everyone based on, you know, what they think, what their policies are, how they, how, how they argue their policies. And um, it stands to reason, however politically challenging the statement might be, that if you cook at home, it is going to be more cost effective yeah. to eat. It's just that when that comes on the back of a self-induced spike in inflation, and it is self-induced, do not let anyone say that this spike in inflation was something that was always coming out of government's control. Mm. No, no, no. This spike in inflation is a direct result of lockdowns. We must not forget that causality because we must never lock down again in the way that we did yeah. last time. We must never forget the causal link between lockdowns, inflation, yeah. cost of living crisis. That is that is one big link. And yes. um, and having created that inflation spike, it's just difficult for, for, for politicians to then say, well, you know, cut back, wear two jumpers, don't heat your homes. You know, it, it just sounds callous, yeah. doesn't it? As true as all that advice might be, yes. it just sounds callous. No, it absolutely does. Now, let's talk about the FDA, uh, which is a union for senior and mid-tier civil servants. They're claiming that being asked to go back to work is some kind of culture war. I mean, where do they get off these people? Well, it's them who's making it a culture war. The rest of us just regard it as normal life. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> go back to work. You yeah. know, you get oh, my God, you know, you sorry, horrible, <laughs> nasty, evil person, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm so sick of these people. Why don't they just recognise that actually there is a reason why it's called the workplace. It's because it's a place you go to work. Home typically isn't a place you work. I'm not saying that you can't work at home, but it's not an ideal environment. It's not the most conducive environment. You're not surrounded by your colleagues. You're not motivated in the same way that you are in the office. I know I, 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 I have much better output in the office than I do at home. I yeah. just do. I've yeah. got printers. Exactly right. I've got colleagues. You know, I've got support. I've got everything. It's just a much better place to be. Yeah, and you've got all of the information that you need. And if you haven't got it, you can get it and you can get somebody to find yeah. it for you. But the problem I've got here with this argument is that it goes on and on and on. And the people who like working from home continue to believe that they do it better. But all of those arguments are pointless because in the face of reality, we can clearly see, certainly when it comes to government departments, that they are much more inefficient now than they ever were. And that's purely yeah. and simply down to the fact that they're all working from home. The DVLA, hopeless, useless, right? HGV drivers passport not getting their, their licences yeah. back. The passport office, you know, the guy, the yeah. woman running it, I think, wasn't even there herself for about a year. The foreign office, we know, was hopeless during Afghanistan. One person was in it. You know, the home office continues to, to fail in any mission that it's given. And, I mean, the Department of Work and Pensions, local councils, they're all... I mean, I hear stories every day, Ben, from people saying... We've tried to phone the council and there's never anybody there. Now, I don't, I don't understand what sort of contracts the government has with civil servants, but all contracts that we have in my company, and I think it's absolutely standard, require the employee to work from a place that the company directs. Mm. And the government presumably has sensible 
employment contracts with its with, with its civil servants and it should just direct these people back to work and you know we've got to remember that these people set the tone for the united kingdom mm. you know if they're all working from home other people are going to take their lead from their behavior and it's just simply not good for the country it's not good for the economy it's not good for the country people need to get their backside back into the office I bet I bet they've got no trouble going out to dinner or going to the pub and seeing their mates. Well, this is this is the irony, isn't it? Because if they went, imagine if they went to the pub and was like, "Sorry, we're closed. We're all working from home." Uh It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Um, we're not going to be serving you anymore, you know? It's just exactly. a, it's, it's a ridiculous situation. I was talking to my sister um, the other day. Uh, she was in New York for the first time in a while. And the whole area around Grand Central Station, which used to be full of outlets, of shops, of, of food outlets and everything, lots of it's just shut down because people are simply not commuting into work in the same way yeah. as London. parts of London are suffering. And it's, and it's killing cities. Yeah. I mean, I think London... London, I think, is coming back to life. It is. I, I don't. Yeah, I think it is coming back to life, in spite of what uh, you know, in spite in spite of all these policies. But um, uh, I'm really encouraged, by the way, in what I see in London: public transport on the roads, mm. uh, everywhere. Um, restaurants, you can't get a booking, you know, which is great. That means consumers are back on their front foot, and. I really hope that feeds through for the, to, to, to the rest of the country. Yeah. No, I think it absolutely will. Ben, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Habib, former MEP chairman of Brexit Watch. Um, the FDA having a conference, by the way. Uh, they say that they will mandate their leaders to resist indiscriminate demands from the government for civil servants to return to what they call office-based working. What used to be known as working, right? So they're actively now saying in the civil service union... They don't want to do any work. They don't want to have to go anywhere to do the work. And they don't want to be told to do any work. They don't want to be told what to do. They want to work from home, despite the fact that they work for us, that we pay them. They want money for nothing. Brilliant. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's Thursday, of course, so the Thursday club will be uh, kicking off in the next hour with Helena Nicklin. She's bringing in some affordable wines because, let's face it, we are all facing a cost-of-living crisis. Everything's going up in price, so uh, anything you can do to save a bit of money uh, is all fine and dandy by me. Uh, we've heard, of course, this morning that the windfall tax may indeed be a thing. It could well be that Rishi Sunak is edging closer and closer to it, according to the Daily Mail. Meanwhile, coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk about the front page of the Sun, uh, which has an incredible story on it uh, about a guy called Levi Belfield, uh, who is, of course, a serial killer, uh, a child killer, no less. Uh, the man responsible for Millie Dowler's death, right? He's apparently getting married in prison. There's an urgent review going on. We'll see whether that can come to anything, but it surely can't be right for a guy like that to go to prison and end up having to uh, be able to get married to some besotted woman uh, who thinks that she uh, is in love with him. It's a shocking state of affairs. Meanwhile, though, before we do the next thing, let's talk to Baroness Kate Hoey, uh, who is, of course, a good friend of the show. Uh, she's over in Northern Ireland, where today uh, the conversation is all about ditching the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, because apparently now we can. Kate, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Now, if only somebody had said this a while ago, we could have saved ourselves a lot of trouble, couldn't we? Well, yes, and of course we we should have uh, invoked Article 16 well over a year ago when the government itself said that it was able to uh, invoke it, you know, the criteria had right. been met. But we didn't do that because we keep saying we must keep negotiating. But Liz Truss's uh, letter today, her statement that she had spoken to Sefcovic and Sefcovic had basically said there is no room for me, i.e. Sefcovic, to negotiate anything further outside what he'd been given his mandate and I think that's why she has now decided or over the last week or so that the really enough is enough they're not going to get anywhere with any more negotiations right. and we've kept trying to be reasonable but reality is you know it's it's uh, the government is of the European Union well it is a government of sorts is not being reasonable no so it... I welcome I welcome that statement but like everything Mike we have to wait to see you know, words are great, but action is what is needed. Yes, absolutely right. Because you and I have spoken about this many times. You and Ben Habib had a legal case going through the courts at one point, you know, because it was very clear that the, the, the European Union weren't going to move at some point or at any point, really, uh, which kind of led to Lord Frost just giving up on it as well. But apparently I'm told, uh, and I haven't read the entire document, obviously, um, that there is a line in, in the, uh, the Brexit agreement which says that you can uh, override the Northern Ireland Protocol if there's something better. So all you've got to do is have something better, right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, all along, even before this was all signed up to, a lot of work had gone on about how it could be done by technology because, you know, the European Union, all right, wants to protect its internal market. And that means that any goods going over from Northern Ireland into the Republic, which is then still in the EU, could be needs to be protected but there's not a huge amount of trade going that way anyway and it could be protected by by a bit of goodwill of people working together mm. so i i am um, i think you know what has obviously brought this all on is that the government and the prime minister is going to have to choose as i've said many times between the protocol and having devolved government because there's no doubt about it the belfast good friday agreement has been broken by the uh, protocol the consent principle has gone all sorts of aspects of the east-west relationship very balanced with the north-south that has now gone uh, and is being eroded and 
people are very angry and very fed up. And we saw with the vote, even though Sinn Féin ended up with exactly the same number of MLAs, the DUP lost two seats, but they lost them to the more... Um, um, let's say, resolute mm. uh, party on the protocol, the traditional unionist voice. And so there's no real room for manoeuvre anymore in Northern Ireland on this. Um, and I think the reality is that the United Kingdom government has to decide, you know, either it wants devolution of the protocol, but more importantly, does it actually want to stick up for British citizens? You know, we're part of the United Kingdom. Yes. And sometimes that seems to be forgotten and we're allowing the EU to, you know, to make our laws, make our trade rules. And why on earth should the people who voted to leave in the United Kingdom end up with a bit of the United Kingdom still in the EU? Yeah. Well, quite right. And maybe this is the beginning of the end of all of that. I hope it's the beginning of the end. But as I say, Mike, action is needed, not words. But yes. Liz Trump has, has sounded more serious about this. And I think she realises that, you know, even within the Conservative Party now, there are lots and lots of MPs who are pretty fed up with this. And particularly at the moment when we're playing such a big role in Ukraine and working closely with some of the EU nations that we haven't worked so closely with before, I think we might find that the EU, apart from France and Germany, and perhaps Belgium, aren't quite so hung up on this tiny mm. amount of trade and sausages that might get yes. into their territory. Oh, I know. Absolutely mad. And of course, Joe Biden can't resist uh, in interfering, oh, can he? I mean, just do us a favour, Joe. Just go back to the dark room and lie down. Yeah. I mean, the problem with the America, a lot of Americans, and Biden in particular, this is kind of romanticised idea of Irish nationalism that they've, even though they've, you know, hardly been in Ireland or, you know, got ancestors yeah. have come from, they, and so he has always taken the sort of Irish side. And I keep kind of challenging him on Twitter. Has he actually read the Belfast Good Friday Agreement? Because it's amazing how many people go on about how important it is we keep this agreement and they've never actually read it or they would understand how it's being broken, how this is not helping in any way to keep you know, sustainable mm. uh, stability in Northern Ireland. So Biden should, I mean, I just ignore him, frankly. He, um, I yeah. don't think we're going to get a trade deal anyway under his um, presidency. So I, I don't think we need worry about that. Well, judging by his approval rating in his own country, I don't think very many people pay much attention <laughs> to him anyway. But uh, what about the Sinn Féin um, sort of situation? Because obviously they've got the First Minister's um, uh, uh, job for the first time. Um, do you believe that, that I mean, I, I take your point that they didn't get any extra seats, but do you get the uh, the, the impression that this will help to move a conversation towards the United Ireland? No, I think there was a lot of uh, media hype about Sinn Féin becoming mm. the first minister. Remember, and all your listeners, I'm sure, know that it makes no difference in terms of power. Everything that they do has to be signed together. You know, make the joke about yeah. even putting a postage stamp on a letter has to be agreed by both the first minister and deputy minister. But clearly it was, you know, it was something that unionism didn't want to happen. But the Sinn Féin picked up any extra votes they did get was coming from the more liberal, using that word mm. very, um, you know, not not meaning a precise meaning of it, yes. the, of the Social Democratic Labour Party, the SDLP. Mm. So they picked up votes from other nationalists, just as unionists lost, the DUP lost to the other um, uh, traditional unionist voice uh, party. So I... I it's it's it is a it is a discussion now about how we make sure those of us who are very keen to stay part of the United Kingdom how we make sure that you know that what we haven't been doing and I think unionism hasn't been doing is is actually selling the importance of being part of the UK and what what it gives to us but no if there was a border poll tomorrow 
um, which is what, of course, um, Mary Lou MacDonald, who incidentally doesn't live in Northern Ireland, but seems to always be the one that speaks for Sinn Féin right. rather than the Sinn Féin leader. Um, she wants a border poll. But frankly, a border the only I mean, I would go for a border poll, too, only that the way the Belfast Agreement is worded, once you have one border poll, you have to have one every seven years. Mm. And that would lead to huge instability. So even if the pro-union side won by a big majority, which I'm absolutely certain they would at the moment, then we would know that in seven years' time there had to be another one. Right. So I think that there, they, it's very clear there need not be a, a border poll until the Secretary of State decides that there is a real chance of um, it going against um, the, uh, you know the UK and the, uh, for United Ireland and that just isn't going to happen at the moment. No, very well said, Kate. Good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed, Baroness Kate Hoey. There uh, reporting into us from Northern Ireland, where uh, as she says, the spokesperson uh, for Sinn Fein doesn't actually live. There's a funny thing. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Here with you until one o'clock, of course, when it is time uh, for Ian Collins at uh, one o'clock. It's then uh, Rob Rinder from four and then seven o'clock. You're going to go into the news desk with Tom Newton Dunn, Piers Morgan uh, at eight o'clock. And then the talk, of course, back at nine, uh, followed by James Whale on a Thursday uh, right here uh, on the world's favourite TV station. Let's now talk, though, about some of the worst television you've ever seen on the BBC funnily enough uh, Danny Kelly is here uh, former top radio pronouncer announcer presenter on the BBC um, in fact he calls himself a BBC broadcasting legend uh, I can't argue with that Danny uh, very good afternoon to you <laughs> very good afternoon to you Mike and it's great to be on talk TV <laughs> listen you. it's brilliant uh, it's fantastic I'm so glad we've got you back on because we've got a lot to talk about here the BBC according to Tim Davy, the new boss right he says it's the home of creative excellence and world beating impartial journalists journalism um, sorry I think he's not been watching the news lately has he well, when I was at BBC WM, Mike, in Birmingham, yeah. um, there was open resentment and almost bordering on hostility towards Boris Johnson and conservatism. And, and that naturally, I think, does indeed sort of leak its way into output. I, yeah. I always remember during the lockdown and the newsreader of the day, Rishi Sunak was doshing out billions and he was on the front page of the paper. And the newsreader said, I, I really want to like him but I can't because he's a Tory. Mm. And that's the problem with the BBC, certainly WM. I knew everybody's politics, and mm. I think that if you work for the BBC, you should leave your politics at home. Um, Boris Johnson, there was open resentment towards him. The, when the, uh, the, the exit poll came out on 2019, uh, there, there were journalists weeping um, in the office. I'm not kidding you. I came into work <laughs> the next morning. And I was told that there were people crying. Yeah. Um, I, I was told, just going back to the impartiality, I, I opened my show on the day after the 82-seat majority and said it was a stunning result for mm. the Tories. I was immediately told not to use the word stunning because it implies maybe some sort of editorial slant. And I was so incensed by this. Right. I, I went to Dictionary Online, Googled stunning, and just copied and pasted it and sent it to my boss. And, and that was... That was that was endemic. It, it was everywhere, Mike. Yeah, um, no, clear. I mean, I've spoken to so many people um, who, during, before, and after the whole Brexit debate and the referendum, uh, would be called in to go on to any questions or to the question time. And if you were from the Brexit Party side of the the argument, or a Tory MP who wanted to to leave the European Union, you were literally treated like a leper. 
Um, you know, they didn't like want you to sit in the same room as them uh, before the show. They didn't really want to talk to you. Uh, if there was a conversation, it was always very leery. And people genuinely thought that you were some kind of, you know, mad racist bigot. And I've been told this personally by people that I know. Yeah. Uh, regularly callers who had a Brexity opinion wouldn't be allowed on air um, because it was bordering on... Well, I, I always remember... This is a good example, Mike. There, there was a story about a, 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 a jet that was being chartered by a farmer somewhere in England to mm. bring over Eastern European workers or something. And someone called in with an opinion and he wasn't allowed on air. And I buzzed through to say, why, why isn't he allowed on air? And he, he was you know, shut down as some sort of racist. He wasn't a racist. He just had an opinion that differed from the very liberal management yeah. who who, who, who uh, staffed the BBC. Yeah. And you've told me in the past, Danny, they didn't like sort of elderly callers. They didn't like old people really at all, did they? Which is what the local sort of, uh, sort of national, the local radio um, stations that they have all over the country are supposed to be providing a service for. Mike, this is the scandal. And I mentioned this to you on your fabulous show 12 months ago. The BBC now make over 75s, pay the £159 a year. But it's well known across the BBC that the managers don't want those voices on the radio. Why? Because they don't want to put off the next generation of licence fee payers. Mike, you may remember that when I was jettisoned for being too old and too white at 50, not my words, the, the station's words, uh, we, we, we were on a downward trajectory because the station was going very woke, etc. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tragic for me to report, Mike that the station has lost, I think, three quarters of its market share. Now, what that means to people who aren't in broadcasting is that one in 50 people who listen to the radio in Birmingham, one in 50 listen to BBC WM. Blimey. When I was there, it was like one in 10 or one in 11. Yeah. And, and it's gone woke and unfortunately it's gone broke. And, and they're continuing with this, this diversity yeah. um, play mike and it, the listeners are just voting yeah, with their feet exactly right but their reward of course uh, as we've been reading about today is to get a 4.2 percent pay rise and they're claiming uh, and i didn't actually know this until i looked it up the bbc is the biggest broadcaster in the world right in the world because they employ twenty two thousand people they've let about a thousand of them go but they're probably all coming back through the back door working freelance but the yeah, local the local radio network, which I rail about all the time, is I think there's 63 different local radio stations, including uh, BBC WM. Um, it's about a budget of 100 million quid, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a budget of around about 100 million pounds. And look, I love local radio and I've got friends at local radio and the journalists in the newsroom, Mike, deserve the 4% pay rise. Mm. The, the people who make the decisions don't deserve a hike in, uh, in their salaries, I believe. Um, it's it's a it's a tragedy what's happening. But when one in fifty people listen, listen. If you and I were to go into business and I say I'm going to throw millions at a local radio station, Mike, and we're going to get one in fifty people who listen to the radio, they're mm. going to listen to our station. Yeah. You would think I was berserk. Yeah, I know it's absolutely mad. But also, um, they make all these arguments all the time now as they do this kind of you know backward um, retreat from uh, the charter. Because they've all accepted now, I think, that, you know, things are going to have to change. I mean, even Netflix have worked out that you can't continue uh, with what is, whatever your planning model is because it changes all the time. You know, kids are watching more stuff on YouTube. You know, 
BBC in very large part is kind of redundant in many ways. I mean, I've even heard people now talking about getting rid of things like Radio 3, getting rid of things like, you know, BBC 3, which they already got rid of once, but somehow seems to have come back. You know, BBC 4, what do you need that for? You know, have BBC 1 and BBC 2, and if you want to make those, you know, free-to-air channels, fine. I, my belief is everything else, apart from, say, a much smaller network of local radio, disappears. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's uh, one department that's shrouded in secrecy, and it's the commercial arm of the BBC. And, and no one really knows how much money it makes, but it, it sells incredibly popular programmes all around the world, Mike. Uh, it's shrouded in secrecy. Um, and and I'd love to know exactly how many billions they had in, in, in the coffers. It, it's really peculiar, though, Mike, because I, I take you back to your earlier question about mm. the future funding of the BBC. I'm passionate about radio. I, I love your radio station. The tragedy is I hear my old callers phoning you, and, and, and it's galling. <laughs> really? It's galling, Mike, because... Yeah. They, they don't want to be exposed to the very diverse, progressive... Yeah, well, I mean, one of, the reasons, one of the reasons I did that rant at the top of the show was because we had a caller who said he was listening to BBC, I think it was BBC Shropshire, and he yeah. said their take on the Lee Anderson story was so bizarre and biased that he had to switch it off because, it you know, true. they're making out that something that actually isn't true. They followed the Daily Mirror line, uh, which is that, you know, he's an evil Tory and he thinks poor people have only got themselves to blame, none of which he actually said. No, I I remember driving into work, Mike. Do you remember when, when Brexit was caught up in a in a log in a traffic jam? I do remember uh, it very well. Loggerheads, and, and I remember driving in, and the news was pumping out at the time very one-sided partisan reporting of, for example, the CBI saying that if we leave the European Union, uh, the clouds are going to collapse and right. pet dogs are going to die. die. Because yeah. All of that sort of baloney. But it was never balanced. Never balanced by no. somebody saying, however. The Brexit party say that's a load of rubbish. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was that was saturating the BBC. It was absolutely right. Well, listen, Danny, good to see you. Uh, we'll get you on again soon. Um, these bozos should not be getting a pay rise. I think it should be blocked. You know, if the prison minister can actually stop Belfield getting married, maybe, just maybe, uh, we can stop this pay rise going uh, to these oiks at the BBC who are not in any way trusted by the great bulk of Britain. I have to say. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.